What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins, joined again by David Lake. David is back in the saddle. Uh, Yeah, we are coming at you a few days before Thanksgiving. Miami, obviously, still in the middle of an unexpected two-week bye. Um, So we thought, why not do a mailbag? Uh, We reached out to our subscribers at InsideTheU.com. They have given us like over 100 questions. We've tried to narrow this thing down, so we're going to get into that first off. David, how you doing? Are you ready for some uh, for some turkey? I'm ready to eat. Andrew, what are you thankful for? <laughs> I'm kind of in a bad <laughs> mood, so like I don't know if we want to go down this road. Uh oh. <laughs> oh, this is gonna be a fun podcast then. Um, I'm just I I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm thankful for health in this okay. 2020 year. You know, makes you. Makes you think about your health. I'll tell you what else I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for all our listeners to this podcast, all our subscribers at InsideTheU.com. And let me bring something up here. At uh, 24-7 Sports, they are running a Thanksgiving special for an annual subscription to InsideTheU.com at 75% off. So that's just 27 bucks. You can get a full year access to VIP content that is provided at InsideTheU.com. So, got that out of the way. I'm ready to get into the mailbag. That might—that's your best reader of the 120 <laughs> plus uh, <laughs> podcast episodes we've done. Like you—you—you you, you got me there. I didn't even know it was—it <laughs> was coming. So, here's how we're going to format this episode. It's probably going to go longer. So, if you're traveling over Thanksgiving, I mean, I know. CDC guidelines probably are, are not encouraging anyone to travel, but if you're you're hanging around, this is going to be a longer one because we figured why not just go a little a little <laughs> long. Only one episode this week. We're going to do team questions in the, in the first half, and then we'll do recruiting hash, recruiting questions in in the back half. So I, I would assume this is probably going to go 50 minutes or so. We're going to try to get to as many as we can. Um, yeah. And let's let's kind of jump into it before we get into any user ones. David, I I came up with this one for you. So this is submitted by Andrew underscore Ivans. Okay. And it's, it's primarily for you and it, there's a, it's a big hypothetical. So obviously Miami's not playing this weekend. Um, Then they're scheduled on December 5th to travel to Wake Forest. Then it's back home against North Carolina uh, on the 12th. And then on the 19th, it is Georgia tech at home. Okay. So right now, those are the games that are scheduled. Who knows what could happen? Um, right. You know, I don't think North Carolina has had a shutdown yet, have they? They might have earlier in the season. I don't See, know. I, I don't think they did. I think they okay. were uh, kind of a product of other teams that had to shut okay. down. Georgia Tech, we know, has had a shutdown. I don't, I don't know about Wake. But let's say in, this, in a hypothetical situation here, um, you know, Miami loses some of these games. Maybe it's one, maybe it's two games. I like where you're going. Do you know where I'm going with this? I think I do, but go ahead. Does Miami, if if that's the situation, so let's say Miami loses one of these games, um, 
They think they need another game to push them into college football playoff conversation because they're not going to get an ACC title game. Would you try to schedule BYU? So the fun, easy answer to this would be yes, but I'm going to say no. Uh, <laughs> what does <laughs> what do you gain? Nothing. What does Miami have to gain from that, right? So I could see why what BYU would have to gain from that. Um, now, would it be cool? Yeah, for sure. I'd love, you know, I would love to watch that and cover that. But if I'm Miami's AD, I ain't touching that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I was just thinking about that yesterday when I was like running because of the whole yeah. Washington BYU thing. And who knows? Uh, we're taping this Tuesday morning. So it's before the first initial college football playoff rankings come out Tuesday night. Um, yeah. So I, I guess my not counterpoint would be like, who knows where Miami's going to be? Maybe there is a path to get into the college football playoff and maybe it involves having to play one or two more marquee games. So it's just something I was thinking about. It seems like BYU is like half one foot in one foot out the door when it comes to yeah. scheduling bigger games, but I don't know. It'd be fun. Mormons versus I'll say this Mormons versus convicts. I mean, I'm not saying Miami's convicts, but like, have they ever played? I don't even know. Well, I'm sure they have. I mean, before I was really of age to watch it. But I'll say this. I, I think cancellations are a possibility, right? Yes. Um, but I, I think what would happen then is the ACC would schedule Miami to play another ACC team. Um, now, who would that be? I don't know. But I think that's the, that's the more likely thing to happen. Um, and so in that scenario, could I, I mentioned the last podcast or the last podcast I was on. Uh, could Miami get matched up with Notre Dame on the fly? To me, that would be interesting. Um, I'd like to see that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this month of December, it's going to be a wild one. We'll see college football's kind of limping to the finish line. We'll see if they can finish strong, though. Uh, yeah, well, that would be Catholics versus convicts, you know? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's, let's dive into this mailbag. That's my user-submitted um, question. I'm probably not going to try to read too many of these screen names because, number one, they're hard to decipher. That's fine. Yeah, and we don't have to. Some of them have, like, profanity kind of tucked into them. So, I mean. <laughs> Are you talking about Slim Dick Jerry? <laughs> uh, I guess that's the worst one I saw. Okay. Well, let's start from the top. Do you think in terms of Miami's ranking and the coaches and AP polls, this team is overrated or about where they should be? So where's Miami right now in the in the AP number ten? So in the AP they're ten, in the coaches they're nine, and then as you mentioned, the college football playoff is getting announced at some point tonight, seven o'clock. Um, so if you're listening to this on Wednesday, that's already been announced. We don't know what it is yet. Um, so essentially, the the poster's asking, do we think Miami is legitimately a top ten team? I think. Um, you know, I, I think just my eye test, what, what I see, I think this team is more of like a 15, 15-ish type team. Uh, you can't argue with the results. They're, they're winning. They're 7-1. and one. Uh, They've won some close games here recently. But to me, they're not really a top 10 team. I think you could argue it, you know. that There is a certain point once you get to like maybe 8, 9, 10, like, is Miami in that mix? I think that's fair. Uh, but just how they look, 
I don't know if Miami looks, this Miami team looks like a top 10 team. To me, they look more like a top 15, top 20 type team. I think that's fair. Um, I test would suggest no, like they probably aren't in the top 10, but at the same time, look at Miami's resume. Um, yeah. And they're, they're not a lot of teams that own what Miami's been able to do. I mean, road wins, those, those count and I think hold yeah. value. I mean, you blew out a rival, uh, your, your one measuring stick game against Clemson was not close. Um, so right. But I, I just think overall resume, given the fact that they've played eight games, there's not a lot of teams that have done what they've been able to do against pretty decent competition. I think something to also think about is are they, you know, where they should be? I don't know how many of these games I'm gonna I'm gonna read off some teams here. Miami would be favored in. Right. Uh, you know, would they be favored against Georgia? No. No. Would they be favored against Oklahoma? No. Would they be favored against Indiana? See, that's an interesting one to me. I think that's a close one. But would be, yeah, would fair be, point. Would they be favored against USC? Again, <laughs> I think that's a toss-up, but yeah, fair point. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, those are some of the teams that are ranked behind them in the AP Top 25. I think uh, like, okay, Northwestern, I think Miami would beat Northwestern, who is, you know, in that same ballpark as Miami. I think the, the conversation is... Um, what is a top 10 team in 2020, right? So, I mean, I, don't, I really don't know. <laughs> right. So, you know, teams aren't – there's not many teams who are consistently looking good this year, yeah. like consistently looking elite. So, again, is Miami in that mix, like 8, 9, 10 through 20? Sure. Uh, but you mentioned it. Like, I don't think Miami beats Oklahoma. I don't think Miami beats Georgia. You know, USC – you know, yeah, I mean, that's a toss-up. I don't think USC's look great, though, to be honest. I think Miami would beat them. But yeah. What about, like, Texas? You know. Texas or Auburn? Like, I don't even think they're favored in those games. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. That's it. Again, I think 10 to, 10 to 30, you know, jumble up those teams, pick them out of a hat, and who knows who wins those games. So Miami's in that mix. What about Coastal Carolina? Neutral site. <laughs> I think Miami beats them easily. Well, have you seen? I mean, this is such off tangent. Have you seen Coastal Carolina's offensive line? They're like all under six three. Have you seen that that yes. graphic? I watched a little bit of them play App State. Just, and, just picture know. them against Miami's the front seven. Assuming all those guys are healthy, like oh right. my gosh. I mean, that's the issue with the group of five versus power five conversation, right? Like, I'm here for the BYU. I'm here for the Cincinnati. But, you know, if we're being real, those rosters ain't on the same level as these Power 5 rosters. And then Coastal Carolina, that's even more so the case. Like, they're having a great season. Those fans should um, celebrate the season they're having. Um, but, you know, Miami would wreck them. Ooh, I mean, I don't know about wreck. Let's, let's they would. Them. Okay. They would. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. AJ one two two eight. So I, I I always thought it was A Jones, but it, it's it's got to be. I AJ. did too. I think you're right though. AJ one. I always read it as like A Jones, but anyway. Same. same, same. <laughs> uh, which position group has improved the most uh, throughout the season? Uh, I'll start here. I would say the wide receivers. Yeah. 
Yeah, particularly in the in the you know recent weeks, we've seen growth from that group. Um, so I I have two other suggestions. Uh, I I think Stryker, I think Gilbert Frierson has established himself as one of the better players on the defense. Just you know, with his activity, the way he plays so hard, he finds a way to make plays. And then I think too defensive end, we've seen that position group uh, improve as the season progresses, specifically with James Phillips. He's taken his game to another level. So I think wide receiver, striker, defensive end, it's fair to, to point out those positions as, as the ones that have improved during the season. Which has regressed. Safety. Safety, yeah. has, you know, it's – I don't know what's going on there with Bubba Bolden, Gervin Hall, dating back to last year. I don't understand why he's worse this year than last year. Um, I, I actually read something in The Athletic last night, and they highlighted Bubba Bolden as, like, stock down for the NFL yeah. draft. Like, it was just, you know, broad – broad spectrum just kind of the latest buzz and they're like there was talk of him working his way into that day two category and they're like now he's probably at best a mid-rounder um yeah and it was it was kind of the same same thing with me and you've been saying like what what happened you know he's really aggressive one play and then the next play he's like out of out of position right yeah he he's He's taken some bad angles. He, he's been a step late on a lot of plays, um, which wasn't the case for like a three-game stretch in the first half of the season where it looked like he had the potential to be special. So he's got to get back on track. Um, you know, if he does, he's, he's a big-time player. Um, spot running back? I mean, I don't know. I guess they're doing fine, but like they're not getting better, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Corner two. <laughs> oh, that's um, – yeah, they're probably, everyone's probably pissed. Me Linebacker two. What? <laughs> um, next, moving on, next question. If Lashley were to leave, this comes from Jay Coins. do you think Miami would fill within or look elsewhere? Again, I'll take the lead here. Um, I think the odds-on favorite to get the job would be – your wide receivers coach, Rob Likens, who is a former offensive play caller. You know, he's not really tied to Lashley at all. Uh, Sometimes when offensive coordinators are hired, they bring in their own guys. That really wasn't the case with Lashley. Um, I think him and Likens were familiar with each other, but I don't think they'd really ever crossed paths for an extended period of time. No. Uh, So I think Likens, and just based on – any media session or, or what I know about him, I think he'd make a ton of sense. Now, with that being said, I do feel like Manny would look and try to get the best option available. Right. I think that does matter, right? So I think Manny d- would be wise to see if, a, if another candidate, you know, shows interest. And that would need to be something he needs to explore. But I agree. I think Rob Likens would probably be the pick, uh, assuming Rhett Lashley leaves after this season. Okay. Moving forward, we're on the same page with that one. SFL Green Chili, I think is how I say that. Yep. He asks, how concerned – this plays right into exactly what you just, just mentioned a few minutes ago. Should the, <laughs> should the fan base be with the defensive play calling – 
in parentheses, especially early in games. And the linebacker play slash development, considering those are both Blake Baker's responsibilities. Um, I'll, I'll start with this. Are you one of those people that believes Manny Diaz calls the defense in the second half? Uh, no, I don't think. I mean, you know, no, I don't think so overall. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't buy into that. I don't. I can't. What? Here, here's my take on the defense, and I, I think you have to look at Miami's unit as a bender break type of style of play. Like they will give you yards, but eventually, when you get in that red zone, they they seem to hold and, and figure it out. Obviously, some games, you know, that's not always the case, but that's just kind of how I view it. And I think Blake and and the rest of the defensive staff really use those first couple drives to kind of feel out what the other team wants to do before dialing it up and getting more aggressive as the game progresses. Yeah. And I think within that point, right. Most every team has an opening script and in those opening scripts, they break a lot of their own tendencies that they show during the course of the year. And so those opening scripts in general have a lot of success, no matter what team, is playing. Um, so I, I think the, the bigger question they're getting at is Blake Baker. Just what are our thoughts? And, you know, I think we need to continue to uh, make the point that, well, this is how I feel at least. I think Blake Baker does a pretty good job with the personnel he has to work with. You know, I made the point that, I think the defensive line is a good group, a very good group. And then the back seven, there's a lot to be desired there. And so that's why at times you see a lot of off coverages or soft coverages um, because they don't want to give up explosive plays on the back end. Uh, I think if you look at how Miami's defensive stats compare, you know, to the other power five teams, because I don't think we can compare group of five teams this year. Um, to power five teams because power five teams are playing power five schedules, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, Miami's defense is in the top 15 range when you compare them to other power five teams that have played at least, you know, seven games. Um, Miami's defense is allowing 24 points a game. You compare that to Georgia, who's allowing 21, Clemson 19, Alabama 19. Notre Dame 16. So Miami's not on the same level as those teams in terms of points per game, but it's fairly close. And I think you could argue that the personnel of those teams is on a much different level yeah. than, than what Miami has. And, you know, you break it down to yards per play. Miami's given up 5.2 yards per play. Alabama's at five, Georgia 4.9, Notre Dame and Clemson at 4.7. So you know, look, I, I get it. I test wise, Miami's defense does not look salty this year. Um, but I think Blake Baker is doing a good job of coordinating the defense uh, to get the most out of the personnel he has to work with, which is what a good coach does. Now, in terms of linebacker development, I get it. Um, you know, why isn't Zach McLeod better? You know, this is probably just what Zach McLeod is. Um, 
he's he's kind of a guy that lacks instincts i guess it's fair to say bradley jennings hard to uh fault blake baker there in my opinion because he's you know bradley jennings is coming off an injury blake baker hasn't really been able to work with him very much and then i think you look at the other guys like Corey flag he's a true freshman um tyreek austin cave he's a true freshman avery huff still not there yet in terms of knowing the defense so i would give him more time before we you know and, and you got to give him time to coach up the guys he actually recruited yeah. um, before we really judge the linebacker development well that was going to be my my talking point on the, on the linebacker saying like i don't i don't know if you can point the finger at blake more so as it should be pointed at manny because these aren't really the guys that Blake recruited um and from what I've I've heard they feel really good about Corey Flagg and Tyreek Austin Cave and I think Flagg maybe would be playing more had it not been for yeah. the uh COVID outbreak and him having to miss some games for unspecified reasons but look Blake didn't recruit Bradley Jennings or, or Wayneman Steed so it's hard to kind of fault him for having those guys Right. Yeah. I mean, I get like, I understand the point fans are making about Blake Baker. I get it. I just don't think right now it's, it's very fair. And, you know, look, it's going to get it. I, I will fully admit like brace yourself, Miami fans. Like it's not going to get any easier because Wake Forest uh, will give Miami's defense issues and North Carolina is going to give Miami's defense a ton of issues. Um, but again, like to me, it's like a personnel issue. I don't know if, if like Blake Baker is, is totally the guy to blame. I don't know. That's just where I come from on that one. All right. Moving on. In your opinion, should Miami focus more on the tight ends? I think that's on getting them involved, right? Yes. Yeah. In the, in the offense. I think they've been doing a better job and they being Rhett Lashley. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think it's fine. I don't have an issue with with the the usage of the the tight ends. I get where the questions coming from though because, you know, clearly the tight ends are more talented than the wide receivers, right? But in general, you 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 do target uh wide receivers more than tight ends. It's just kind of like the nature of how things go in a passing game. And I think too, uh, defenses know this. So defenses look to take away Miami's tight ends. And so that's part of the issue too. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, on the year, um, the guy, Brevin Jordan has 26 targets. That's even though he's missed three games, Will Mallory has 20 targets. Um, as that secondary tight end. So I don't have too many issues with this. I don't know. Uh, next question from Jay coins inside the program. What is the feeling on Derek King coming back? I don't know if you've heard anything, David, I really haven't. Um, yeah, I will say I recently heard that some think that a guy like Jalen Phillips is probably going to, test the NFL waters. I haven't heard much on King. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think there, 
what I've gathered is I, I think there is like optimism that King is legitimately going to uh, entertain the idea of coming back in 2021. But I think he wants to play out the season and, and make the most informed decision he can make. Um, you know, I think this decision kind of comes down to how much does Derek King really want to be viewed as a quarterback at the NFL level. Um, if, if he's totally married to that idea, then I think he probably comes back and puts more film on tape uh, in 2021 to make that case. I think if he's willing to be like a slash player that, you know, can play quarterback, a little running back, a little wide receiver, then there's no reason for him to come back and he'll test the NFL draft waters. But, you know, again, there's really nothing to report here at this time, but there is optimism that Miami thinks they can make a compelling case to him to come back. It's, it's like the storyline of the next month or, or so. Yeah. <clears throat> um, this is kind of right along the, the same lines. JDA478 asks, over under on the amount of seniors who – will our slash are wanted back so i guess they want a ballpark number for how many guys we think that miami would welcome back remember the ncaa is going to allow anyone that competed in 2020 um to return if they're a senior because this year doesn't count against their eligibility uh i i, I think miami would would probably welcome a number of those guys back yes i think pretty much all of them if they wanted to come back. I mean, just from a depth standpoint. And again, we've talked about this in previous podcasts. The, the thing that needs to be communicated is, okay, if we welcome you back, your starting spot is not locked. Um, you still have to earn it. So uh, that needs to be important to communicate. But yeah, I think you, you always want a Mike Carley back. You always want a Zach McLeod back. You always want a John Ford back just from a depth perspective, then it is up to the Miami staff to be willing to still try and play the younger guys behind them. Yeah. I think Jared Williams would be a huge one too. If yes. Miami were to get them back and we've talked about Amari Carter before, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe him back. if, yeah, or maybe even try to transition him to like a, a linebacker type role. I think the one guy who isn't going to come back is Quincy Roche. Like that's fair to say. Yeah, he already accepted a senior bowl invite, so. Yeah, that's think, done. Yeah, I think – does that mean you're done? Well, no? I think it's fair to assume it's done. Yeah. Um, I lost my place on this list. How do you think Miami's staff compares to other ACC schools? This would include in-game coaching, recruiting, and development. Um. I think Miami has one of the top offensive minds in the ACC. Um, and I think Manny Diaz has done a good job of, of, of trying to build out and, and fill out that recruiting department. And we are seeing the fruits of the labor from that here in the class of 2021. I mean, a majority of the 21 kids committed are from South Florida. The pandemic has obviously helped, but, um, you know, a lot of those guys uh, have relationships with some of these off-field staffers like David Cooney, uh, Demarcus Van Dyke, 
uh, in Ed, Edwin Pata. So um, I guess it, that's, that's my take on recruiting. And, you know, I, I don't know how to compare the rest of the staff on, on the board, but I think it's got to be up there. I mean, it's not Clemson, uh, but there's still some good assistance. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say, too, like we've seen improvement in recruiting from Manny as a head coach from last year to this year. Do you agree with that? Like, I think he's been better, more willing to, uh, you know, engage in tougher recruiting battles this year than he was a year ago. Do you agree with that? Yeah. You know, he when he was the defensive coordinator, I don't think he was ever kind of like the ace recruiter, right. um, but he's getting better. And, and one of my biggest things when Mark Rick le- left, I said, Miami's got to get a guy that's going to make it difficult for these local kids to say no to Miami. And I don't know if Manny has gotten to the point, that point yet, but I mean, look, you know, he's very involved in, in James Williams recruitment, the five-star safety out of American heritage plantation. Uh, I keep hearing his name more and more Terry and Arnold safety up in the Tallahassee area. I'm pretty sure Manny's almost running point in that recruitment. So I do think he, in, in terms of talent acquisition has gotten better. And I'll say this, I think, you know, You touched on it. Rhett Lashley, I think, is one of the better offensive coordinators in the ACC. Garen Justice, to me, is one of the better offensive line coaches. Rob Likens, one of the better wide receivers coaches. Uh, Manny Diaz, one of the better defensive minds in the ACC. Um, Todd Stroud, I think it's hard to argue with his results. So, you know, I think there is this narrative that Miami's coaching staff is not very good. I'm not sure that's true. I, I think it is a staff that needs to continue to grow and develop over time. And I think we're seeing that from last year to this year. And, you know, I will say this too. I think one thing this staff is really good at is communicating. And in this modern era, you have to be able to communicate to these players about why you're doing things. You just have to be able to explain, um, you know, over explain almost compared to coaches in the past as to why you are doing the things you're doing. And so I think this coaching staff does a good job of staying on the same page with the players. And in turn, you see the players do play hard for this coaching staff, which matters at the college level. So, and also to that point, you can't overlook the strength and conditioning coach, David yeah, Feely. Yeah. I think that's, that's also been an upgrade. So um, he's been a huge upgrade. He's like the unsung hero. Yeah. And so, you opinion. know, you know, I think there is this narrative out there is, is, you know, is it, is it like you said, is it a Clemson level staff? Probably not, but I think it's a good solid staff that is getting better and better with time. And, uh, you know, I think it's fair to see, you know, how much more growth can this staff achieve? Uh, Another good indicator, I think, is how many of these guys, you know, if this staff folded or something were to happen and they all had to go their separate ways, how many of them would land somewhere else? Now look back to Mark Rick's staff, Todd Hartley. He's now at Georgia. Ron Dugans is at. Florida State, Stacey Searles is at uh, North Carolina. North Carolina. Yeah. 
Um, I, I think like Rob Likens would land at a power five school. I think Garen Justice would land at a power five school. I think Eric Hickson doesn't get enough credit. Yeah. Stephen Field obviously has done a good job on the recruiting trail. So I, I, I think that's one way to look on it. You know, who would try to hire these coaches? And I think, um, you know, a, a majority of them would, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think overall it's a young staff that is also improving. You know, we're seeing the players improve on the field. I think the coaching staff, you know, besides obviously the new additions from last season, I think the guys that came back from last season are also improving in executing their jobs. So, uh, you know, can't find much wrong there, in my opinion. Uh, next question. Which class of 2021 recruit will most likely be the first to get some field time for Miami? I kind of love this question. Um, and I think it does depend on who stays, who goes, but I'll, 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 I'll give you the tee box here, David. Who do you think it is? <laughs> um, so I kind of have two, two answers, but I'll just take the easy one. I'll go with the highest rated guy. I think, I think Leonard Taylor, no matter what, I think he's going to make an impact. Um, you know, whether that's as a backup defensive tackle that's rotated in 20 snaps in a game or, or, you know, who knows, maybe the best, best case scenario happens, but I think Leonard Taylor's a special talent. So I'd go with him. Who is the other scenario? So I think the other guy I would, I would bring up is Elijah Arroyo. Um, I just think he's a free tight end. The more I see of him, the more I think he's special. And again, maybe he doesn't start, but I think he's going to, he could potentially have a big role as a, as a freshman tight end. That's exactly who I was going to highlight. Um, I think Leonard Taylor will be in the rotation. I think James Williams will find his way onto the field. Those guys are too good. Um, but really, depending on whether or not, you know, what happens with Brevin Jordan, I think Elijah Arroyo could work his way, um, especially if they want to go multiple tight end sets. And he's just yeah. – he's got the size, and I, I agree. I think he's someone – uh, that could get in there. Him, him enrolling early will be big as well. Um, do you have like a sleeper out there? Like anyone that you think would be like, maybe like a Corey flag, I should say. Oof. Uh, you go. Let me look. <laughs> Are you scanning the list? Scanning the list. I don't. I'll go. Well, Malik Curtis. That's an easy one, right? Punt returner. Yeah. Does that count? That counts. I'll go Malik Curtis. Okay. I don't really have another good one. Um, I mean, I think a receiver, I think one of those receivers is going to earn playing time somehow. Which one? I don't know, but I think one of them will. Yeah. Or somehow be in part of the rotation. Yeah. Maybe Romello Brinson. Yeah. Okay. Um, kind of let's try to burn through these and take a break and get through uh, sure into yeah, the recruiting. So short. yeah, let's go rapid fire. Can you tell us about Cam Williams and um, Avery Huff? Why aren't they saying the field and, and what are you hearing, David? I think you address this pretty well in terms of Cam Williams in that Virginia tech yeah. game. You know, they just wanted to lean on the veterans um, by everything I've heard. They really like Cam Williams and I've heard they think Avery Huff, 
can be an animal. Um, it's just a matter of him being in the right place and, and lining him up. So I think the future yeah. still could be very bright for those two. Yeah, Huff just needs to learn the defense. Cam Williams needs to just be more consistent against the run. And you also have to remember these two spent all of last season on the scout team. Um, yeah. And, and it's hard to kind of pick up the defense and get good when you are on the scout team because you're running, you know, whoever you're playing that week's place. It's not like you are uh, doing the same thing that those those guys are doing in, in the meeting rooms. You know, you're not with the ones and twos. You're on the other side, on, on another field with the, the threes and the fours. And those two also didn't have a spring football. So I think that hurts as well. Next question. Uh, if you could take one former Miami player to put on this year's team, who would you choose? I'll go Andre Johnson. Give, uh, give Derek King a freak number one wide receiver, and this offense would score 40 a game. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go non-NFLer. I'm on Richards. Ooh, but under, okay. under, like, I mean, you could pick any Canes legend. So let's try to make it like a little realistic, right? You, you know, some oh. guy, some guy who's just, just around, like, but it's the same thought line of thought as you. Like, they just need right. a, a, a number one, a guy that's going to move the ball down the field. And I think, I mean, you really could pick any, any wide receiver, but he would be, he'd be nice. Yeah, it's either that. I think it's either a receiver or a corner, right? So, which is crazy to think about, but uh, those would be my two positions. Next question. Um, should Brevin Jordan come back regardless of his draft grade? Well, I think if he's a first rounder, you got to go. I think even if you're a second or third okay. rounder, you got to go. That's my question, though. Is he ever going to be a first round pick? I'm not sure. Um, so to your point, yeah, I think if he's a top three round guy, even second or third round projection, I think he needs to go. Yeah. It, that's another, you should write all the, all, all the interesting storylines to keep track of over the next five weeks. It's a what, lot. What happens with Brevin Jordan? If Miami finishes 10 and one, should we believe this senior class comes back to play Alabama? Well, again, I think it just goes on, on draft grades. You know? Yeah, I think I'm not sure. Does he mean senior class or just draft eligible guys? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think in general, to answer this question, if Miami goes 10 and one, I think that does make a case like, hey, let's run it back. Let's see how it goes into 2021. So I think that would be fair to say. I still think Quincy Roche goes. Yeah, yeah. Outside of Quincy Roche. Sorry. Okay. Um, if Jalen Phillips comes back, is he a projected first rounder in 2022? I would think so. I think he might be a first rounder this year, to be honest. So yeah, definitely. Um, two more. What players are fans possibly overlooking that could really surprise people and put up big numbers next year? I mean, this is kind of like open to anything. Um, <laughs> I'll okay. I'll go with some freshmen. I'll go with I think Chance Williams uh could have, you know, a productive year next year. Or uh linebacker Tyreek Austin Cave. I could see a scenario where he 
maybe has a phenomenal offseason and emerges as like the starting weak side linebacker. Is he I think he's only played like four defensive snaps and they all came against Florida State, correct? Yeah, he's not playing much on on defense at all. But he he shot in there and and made a huge uh tackle for loss. So he yeah, I was going to note him. Um I don't know if this guy qualifies, but I'm going to toss it out there. What about Jafari Harvey? Yeah, no, I think he counts. Yeah, I think that's a fair one too. It's year three. It would be year three for him. So yeah, time to produce, time to get it going and, and put those physical tools, you know, turn those tools into production on the field. I think yeah. that could happen. Yeah, remember, he was a freak recruit. Some people even have him, had him as like a five-star and they're like own five stars. And final yeah. one for the team related stuff is Manny Diaz the guy to take Miami to the promised land I guess to find to find promised land right so I here's what I would say to that I think Miami fans should be very encouraged by what Manny Diaz has changed about the program in 2020 and the on-field results in 2020 uh you know I've talked about this recently on the podcast but the key now is sustaining success uh, can can Manny Diaz sustain this success? To me, that boils down to what happens at quarterback. Um, so does De'Aaron King come back? If the answer is yes, I think my, Manny Diaz has a chance to be the head coach at Miami for a long time because if De'Aaron King comes back, I think 2021 would also be a successful season for the Hurricanes. Um, I'll say this. I, I like – I think Miami fans – should want Manny Diaz to be successful because he kind of embodies everything that Miami fans should want in their head coach. Now I understand that the bottom line is results. So the results will determine whether or not Manny Diaz is the long-term guy. And it's hard to project that right now because there is a lot of uncertainty in terms of projecting the future, particularly at the quarterback position. But if he figures it out again, um, I think he could be the coach at Miami for, for quite a while. Hmm. Um, I think to just echo what you said, a lot of the changes that he, ma- he has made going from a first-year head coach to now has been, has been pretty impressive. So I, I think, you know, I don't know if I'm ready to say he's the guy to take Miami to the quote-unquote promised land, but you got to give right. him credit for what he's done. Let's see what it looks like next season. Yeah, I mean, in the promised land, I think that's insinuating championships. I'm not ready to say that. But I think, you know, for me, can Manny Diaz get the program to a point where they're consistently winning 10 games, 10 games, 10 games? I think that's fair if, yeah. he, can, if he can sustain this success into next year. It, you know, this next year is huge for Manny Diaz in terms of getting this program off the ground and getting it rolling downhill in a good way. Yeah. Going to need to find a quarterback if it's not Derek King. All right, right. Let's take a quick break. Going to get into the recruiting portion of the mailbag on the other side.
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, David, you going to run point on this or do you still mean to read? Sure. Okay, read point. There's yeah, I can more, read them. There's way more questions. Jeez. <laughs> okay, so this is from Jada478. If we pass slash miss on a quarterback this cycle – is it more likely that we will that we take two next cycle or just one and one transfer? I know this is all contingent on Derek King. Uh, I'm trying to trying to decipher this question. Um, well, they're going to take someone like they, they can't not take a arm using a 2021 counter because you don't know if Nikosi Perry is going to come back. Uh, Peyton Matocha could leave. I mean, I'm not saying that that's possible or like I've heard anything, but you, you have to have four scholarship quarterbacks. And yeah. Um, so I, I guess the big question is, will they take two high school kids next year? If they didn't get a high school kid this year, is that, is that fair? I think that's what they're getting at. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's likely just because I think the 2022 arm assuming Rhett Lashley stays will be a very, very, excuse me, highly ranked kid. Um, and it's kind of normally hard to take two highly ranked kids in the same class. Now I know like Alabama did it with Tua and, and Mac Jones, but I, I just think it'll they will go all in on one guy and that will be the guy. So he also asked about Aaron McLaughlin, who, you know, Miami sniffed around, uh, you know, I think during the spring maybe. Yeah. Uh, he committed he committed to NC State. I assume he still is committed to NC State. I guess the question is, do you agree that Miami is staying the course, you know, focusing on Jake Garcia, or should they peel off that and kind of go after some quote-unquote lesser quarterbacks like an Aaron McLaughlin here down the stretch? What would you do? I'm kind of in like, you know, put your feelers out and see what else is out there. Now, I don't know if you have to go for a lower-ranked quarterback, but I think you can make – a run at a higher ranked quarterback. I mean, Miami is seven and one right now. They're ranked inside the top 10. I know oh, it's a fraudulent top 10 team, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, to kids in certain parts of the country, all they know is Miami's seven and one and they're winning games. So I think that makes you appealing. Um, I think Rhett Lashley's offense and Derek King's numbers are also very appealing if you're a quarterback. So, you know, maybe you don't have to go after a quote unquote lesser guy, but I, I would you know, peek down those recruiting recruiting classes for some of these teams that are not having good seasons and see, you know, maybe who's not as solid as they once were. 
So the next question is from FF Davis and what he really wants to get at is what do you think is going to happen with the uh, counters, the yearly 25 counters that a team can bring in every cycle and the scholarships because this year the NCAA grant is granting a one year exception uh, to all the college football players around the country. So a lot of teams could potentially be over 85 scholarships, et cetera, et cetera. I guess, what are you expecting uh, in that regard? Like number I think, one here, counters, number okay. two scholarship numbers. Let's start with scholarship limits. I think, and just talking with some college coaches and people in athletic departments, they seem to think they will, the NCAA is going to allow teams to cover anywhere from, to carry, not cover, carry anywhere from 95 to, you know, 105 uh, scholarship players. Um, mm -hmm. And that might just be for one year or it might go from 105 one year to 95 the next year and you kind of cycle out of it. So I do think, right. that, you know, that that seems to be the consensus. Now, that has not been voted on. That's not been approved or anything, but that seems to be the, the line of thinking as to what will happen. Counters, I, I don't know. You know, this is something that Miami was worried about long before the coronavirus pandemic. I remember having a conversation with someone on Miami staff. Um, you know, almost a year ago to the date about just the, the situation. And, and Miami was like, they got to change it. They got to change it. You know, this isn't fair. Um, and still nothing has happened. But I think the coronavirus pandemic, this potential uh, one year waiver, they're going to have to just allow teams to get more counters because number one, you know, where are these kids going to go? No one's going right. to have space. Like D2 right. football and NAIA football is all of a sudden going to have all these good players because these kids can't go to D1 programs. I mean, simply there will not be enough spots at, at schools. So uh, I, I would think there's a chance the counter gets relaxed a little bit. I know what one college coach told me, like the easiest thing might just be if a kid goes pro, give us that counter back. So like a guy like Jalen Phillips, yeah. he leaves early, give us that counter. Um, and I, I think that could alleviate some of the pain, not, not fix the entire problem, but that would certainly help Tell out. Tell me this. Enemy. Why? Okay. So let's say the NCAA approves a one-time transfer for everyone in college football, one-time free transfer, um, which I think is good. I think they should do that. Tell me then why wouldn't the move be just to not have counters period, because you're going to be able to have, you know, keep it at 85 scholarships, but you know, you bring in however many you need to bring in to hit that 85. Why, why wouldn't that be just the easy solution? Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I haven't really thought much about it, but that does make, does make some sense. Um, we'll see. Next question from Jada478. Who is a realistic flip prospect that could sign early? Um. Well, Jake Garcia would be one. Jake, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, sign early. I'll give you two more. Um, Terrence Lewis, who is at Miami Central, the, the Tennessee commit. You know, I think he's still in play to a degree. Um, and Tennessee is in a bad spot. But they I, – I believe he's on track to enroll early, so that's why I tossed him out there. Another, another guy who I think could be realistic, Patrick Payton. At Miami Northwestern, um, 
Miami has not gone all in on him yet uh, or hasn't fully cranked up the heat, but they are talking with him. Uh, he's committed to Nebraska, like I said. Again, he, 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 he's not an early enrollee. He could sign early. So I think if Miami wanted another player like that, he'd be one. And those are really, those are really the two right now. And maybe there's another corner like Demarius McGee, who's up in Pensacola, four-star corner committed to Tennessee. I just don't think he's going to sign early. So let's dig into these because other people ask this. We'll just knock it out. Terrence Lewis, um, five-star linebacker from Miami Central. Uh, it, as far as you know, is Miami the only school sniffing around him, or are there others? Uh, in the past, he has told me Mississippi State. Um, and I think that's it. There might be another SEC school, but Mississippi State was the one that he brought up. And then Pat Payton. Um, the questions surrounding him are basically – they just throw it out there. Would you, is it worth dropping Thomas Davis to get him? Uh, and, and like, why has Miami kind of slow played Pat Payton in your opinion? Well, Miami slow played Pat Payton because when he camped at Miami uh, last summer, you know, he was six, five and 200 pounds, maybe, um, you know, he looked like a wide receiver and he worked out at linebacker instead of defensive end. So it, it was, I think it was kind of hard for Miami to be like to really see it. Um, and then they, the, the recruiting class kind of filled up before they got a chance to see what Patrick Payton looked like as a senior. And, you know, let's, let's be clear. Pat Payton isn't some freak looking guy right now. I mean, he's still very lean. Um, he would still need some time in a, in a strength program. I mean, heck if, if Chance Williams and, and Cam Williams needed all that, like Patrick Payton's going to need even more time. Um, to get his body right like uh, I've mentioned in the past he kind of reminds me in some ways of of Greg Russo and you know I, I don't think he's on that level yet or or you know Greg would be best case scenario so that's just kind of one of the reasons and, and Jabari Ishmael who's committed to them out of Miami Columbus he's a very similar looking guy and he's kind of that yeah. same boat long lean gonna need time in David Feely, David Feely's strength room so that's kind of the reasons why I think Miami um, wasn't on him. And, and they, to be fair, they, they were one of the first schools to offer him back when he was at Miami high, uh, you know, when he was playing, when he was playing there. I, I just think it's one of those situations where, you know, um, spots, space is he's limited. Developed. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's developed. Yeah, he's developed. He's a late riser. We should say Pat Payton currently committed to Nebraska. Right. That's still the case. Yes. Um, okay. And so look, we're not, we're not saying Miami should drop Thomas Davis for Pat Payton, but we'll say it like this. Who would you rather have if you, you know, counters get tight, you can only take one guy because you only have so much space. Would you rather have Pat Payton or Thomas Davis? Well, I mean, we have Patrick Payton ranked higher than Thomas Davis, but here's my here's my stance on it I think it's a little difficult to take Jabari Ishmael and Patrick Payton in the same class just because they're both pretty much I like the same player um or they're the same build I think with Thomas Davis what it gives you is a change of pace edge rusher and we've brought this up multiple yeah. times in the past you know if you're used to blocking Chance Williams and Cam Williams on one side and then all of a sudden on third down 
you have a shorter guy with that's faster and, and can get around the edge. Like I think that can pose, you know, create some problems. And uh, if Miami uses uh, Thomas in the correct way, he could absolutely be a weapon for them uh, in certain packages. So next we got like corner questions and I think we can knock these out quick, but uh, one, one of the questions start with Tim Burns who recently decommitted uh, Northwestern cornerback Miami kind of told him he should probably look at other options. This question is if the NCAA uh, opens up the counters, do you think Miami could circle back on him and uh, add him back in the class? I don't think that's all that realistic of a scenario. Um, you know, I think if Miami wanted him, they, they probably would have held on to him a little bit longer. Uh, and I think there's, it's, it's a difficult situation to all of a sudden call someone back. Uh, I, I expect right. Tim Burns to end up at another school. I know West Virginia has been in contact with him and don't get me wrong. I think Tim Burns is, is a good, good prospect. You know, he's a feisty corner, uh, doesn't back down for his size. I just, I, I can't see him, uh, recommitting to Miami. The other question is with Christian Williams, who uh, transferred away from Miami, I think after game one of the season. Uh, I think this is like a Cleveland Reed scenario. Cleveland Reed entered the transfer portal, ended up back on the team uh, in the spring of this past year. Do you think that could happen with Christian Williams? I, again, I don't think this situation is all that realistic. I mean, I wouldn't close the door completely on it um, because look, Miami doesn't get that counter back. Uh, and that's kind of one of right. the reasons why they took Cleveland Reed. Uh, but I, I don't think it's likely. Manny, I will say this, Manny Diaz seemed kind of upset that week. If I remember right, like he was not happy that Christian Williams decided to leave. Yeah. It put him um, in a bad spot. Yeah. So the other question is kind of a big picture Mike Rumpf question. Why is Mike Rumpf picky with who he offers both in-state and nationally? He never ever goes after the top corners in the nation and struggles to connect locally with top corner prospects. Uh, he seems to go after three stars early and often or the low-hanging fruit four stars that would have come to Miami regardless. Um, so I guess just your, your assessment of – Mike Rump's recruiting, you know, obviously he's a uh, talking point on the message board always. Do you think the criticism is fair or unfair? Well, let's, let's start with the he doesn't go after top corners. What, where is that coming from? I'm looking at the top-ranked corners right now, according to 24-7 Sports. Uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry out of Alabama, committed to Alabama. Miami offered him. Uh, Rump, I believe, went out there and saw him, never got him on campus. Nyland Green out of the Atlanta Metro, Covington uh, area. Miami offered him, tried to make a run at him, never got him on campus. Jason Marshall at Miami Palmetto. This, he's the number three ranked guy. Uh, Miami offered him. Miami has been recruiting him for years, and he's committed to Florida. Number four, Jordan Hancock, another kid out of Georgia. Don't remember Miami really being involved with him. He's committed to Ohio State. Number five, Jacalian Johnson, 
out of the St. Louis, Missouri area. Uh, he is committed to Ohio State. Don't think Miami offered him. Number six, Nathaniel Wiggins out of Atlanta, committed to LSU. Again, another kid Miami offered, never got on campus. Um, so, you know, they offer the big, the big name kids. Like, they try. Um, it's just right. it, 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 hasn't, it hasn't worked out. I mean, we can go back to the um, 2020 cycle. Hold on, let me pull up those rankings. So tell me this. Do you think it is fair to criticize the caliber of uh, players Mike Rumpf is landing? Should he be doing a better job on the recruiting trail? Do you think that is fair? Yes, I do. I do. Tell me this. So I look ahead to 2022, right? And let's just let's just say Mike Rump's still on the staff, right? There is a guy, Earl Little Jr., whose dad obviously played at Miami. Earl Little Jr., I think, is a top 100 recruit in this early ranking of the 2022 class. Number one, how good is Earl Little Jr.? Like, is he on that level? And is he a guy that you kind of view that Hey, if Mike Rump's recruiting him, he has to land this guy. Uh, well, right now he's a top 10 ranked player at his position. I think he's really good. Um, and I do think he would be a guy that Mike Rump needs to get, you know, plays at American Heritage, which is where Rump coached. Uh, Dad's a legacy. So, yeah, I, I think that's a guy that Rump needs to get, um, you know, are there other kind of peeking ahead to, to the other, to the 2022 cycle? There's some other corners locally, Travell Mullen, who's uh, the third Mullen brother. You know, he's someone that's been on campus before. Um, I'm drawing a blank. There's Jacoby Spells, another kid at uh, American Heritage, who I think is going to be a pretty good one. Another top two, four, seven kid. So there's going to be options. Um, yeah. We'll just see what rumps can do. Let's circle back to what, what, what were the other parts of that question about, about rump? Is he too picky or, or what? Yeah, that it, it was implied. He was too picky and that he goes after, after three stars too early um, or just recruits the low hanging local four star, you know, the easy to get four star. I guess the question is, I think that the question's getting at, why isn't Mike Rumpf winning these tough recruiting battles when it comes to, to getting the best cornerbacks in the country? Is it simply just, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to do. I don't know. I mean, I think it is like all these, you know, every school wants these guys and look last cycle, Mike Rump got Fred Davis, a, a top two, four, seven corner out of the Jacksonville area in for a secret official visit. Um, and there were some people in Coral Gables during the early signing period that were hoping and optimistic that they might steal a signature. That obviously didn't happen. Fred Davis signed with Clemson. But I, I, I just think the narrative that he doesn't go after the best of the best is, isn't true. Um, he's just not, not finding much success. and Not landing them. Right. And I, and I do think it's been a down couple of cycles locally for cornerbacks, especially in South Florida. Uh, you know, 2018 was was really good with with Tyson Campbell and um, Patrick Sertain, but the the area hasn't really churned out some elite guys. 
uh, like it has in, in years past. Yeah. I think it is fair to say though, like, you know, right now with where the class stands, it's not a good situation in terms no. of having zero guys. And so, you know, it, it needs to improve, right? No, it, I'm not saying it doesn't. It definitely needs to get better. Right. Next question is from Jossel07. Which recruits on the commit list do you see playing on Sundays? Oof. Okay, let's start at the top. <laughs> Leonard Taylor. I think there's three easy ones. Yeah, it's our He's three. One. It's our three favorite commits. Yeah. Roll them out. <laughs> Leonard Taylor, uh, James Williams, um, Elijah Arroyo. I think they're locks. The other guys, I mean, I think there's other guys that definitely have NFL potential, but they need to, you know, they need to develop and keep showing. You know, guys like Melo Brinson, Brashard Smith, Jacoby George. I think they got a shot. Barry Ishmael from a frame and athleticism perspective has a shot. Chase Smith. I even think like Tyler Johnson has a shot, but yeah. the main ones are those first three. Yeah. Michael McLaughlin as well. Yeah. Next question. Drooney 86 asks, do you foresee any late flips out of the class like Romello height did last year? I, I kind of highlighted this question because I thought it was a good one. I, I don't right now. I mean, I'm not going to say, you know, uh, there's no chance that doesn't happen, but you have to remember we're in a dead period. There's no secret official visits. No one's visiting other schools or anything like that. So I, I would be surprised if, if Miami lost a kid that they wanted. Now, I mean, it could happen. You know, it, things get weird when we get into that final two-week stretch. But right now, I think everyone – is pretty solid. I mean, maybe Lawrence Seymour, someone to monitor. He, he has mentioned other schools in the past, but I think right now Miami's in, in, a, in a good spot with most of, the, most of their guys. And the caveat you included was Miami, the guys that Miami wants. So like, you know, Savion Collins, right? So we've kind of operated under the assumption that he's not going to end up at Miami for a while now. We still feel that's the case, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and, and there's some others. I mean, we, we talk about the, the numbers situation and difficult decisions having to be made. I mean, who knows, you know, I'm not saying that someone else will defect from the class, but who, you, you never really know. This one is from UCF 34 PSU 31 rank the defensive line recruits in 2022 in South Florida. Okay. This is, I should, I should have pulled up. Gabby's article. So I think let's start with the the group of edge guys, defensive end guys. Shamar Stewart is the number two or three ranked player in the country. You know, he's he's probably at the top of that group. Right behind him, you have Marvin Jones, who is out of American Heritage. Um, and then you got Kenyatta Jackson out of um, Hollywood, Shamanan, Madonna Prep. I think all three of those guys are, are really good. Um, they have some length. And then I think you could also put in that category Dante Anderson, who is um, down at Homestead. Like if Miami can get yeah. – if Miami could get just one of those guys, um, they would be set. And I think they're going to go and, and try to get two of those guys. Um, moving to the interior of, of the line. Uh, 
it's not as good, I think, locally, but there are some names uh, across the state, some, some really good interior defensive linemen. Uh, I, I think the best pure defensive tackle is probably going to be Daniel Lyons, who probably, or when we're talking about South Florida, who's at home studies next to Dante Anderson. I think he's, he's a pretty good player. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard Thomas at American Heritage has had a good season, but the guy that really, really gets me excited is how, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher his name. I had him pronounce it for me like multiple time multiple times after his game. Nyack Kelly, I think that's how you say yeah. it. He's, he's at nice. yeah he's at Dillard. He to me I, I saw them on like a Thursday night play for a half. He I, I was I was fired up about him. He's currently committed to Florida State. Um, just looks like listed as a strong side defensive end right now, but I think he could eventually slide inside super long. Um, doesn't carry a, a lot of bad or really any bad weight at all. Big reach. I think he's going to be um, a really good one. Uh, so I would probably, you know, actually I, I might even have him ahead of Daniel Lyons. And, and then Jamal Johnson's in that same category, kind of a guy who's uh, an edge, but yeah, maybe. I like Jamal. Yeah. He, he's, he was good in uh, against American Heritage. So basically, I mean, there's a ton of options down here. Miami has two guys committed now on the defensive line. Jamal Johnson, who we just mentioned at Shamanada Madonna Prep, and then Brandon Cleveland, who's up at Tampa Carrollwood Day. Those are two interior guys, I think. Yeah. If I'm them, I would try to take two edges and then just maybe one swing guy and, and, and kind of go right. from there. And, and like I, I said this, I know Gabby Arudia um, – wrote a, a story kind of ranking these about the guys in South Florida. I, I don't even think it's in South Florida, man. I, I think the entire state is, is pretty yeah, is. well stocked and that's good news for Miami. Cause some of these schools that come down here and poach guys, um, you know, there's, there's going to be plenty to go around. I think. I'll say this, like I've started looking at the, the film, the highlights of these guys, the two guys who, who stood out to me uh, watching all these guys highlights Number one, Marvin Jones Jr. In my unofficial David Lake State of Florida rankings that no one cares about, I would put him number one. I think the guy's a freak, motor, bend, uh, obviously plays hard, snap after snap. To me, he's the best one. And then the other guy that stood out to me is the guy you talked about, Nyack Kelly. Um, I think his film was very, very nice too. And then the, the, the two Miami commits you mentioned, yeah, right now they're undersized defensive tackles, but that's by design. Miami wants athletic, quick guys where they feel like they can add good weight on them down the road. And I feel like Jamal Johnson and uh, Brandon Cleveland are both pretty advanced with their hands at this stage, and they do a good job of rushing the passer as those bigger body guys. So I, I feel good about those two commits. And then you mentioned the edge, you know, Shamar Stewart, of course, too, is a freak. Uh, just he looks already like a college level defensive end. And, um, you know, Kenyatta Jackson, he, he clearly is quick, clearly is athletic. So there's a lot to work with there, too. So it is a loaded year on the defensive line. And, you know, we talked about Pat Payton. To me, that's probably one thing Miami's probably balancing in terms of whether or not to really push for Pat Payton. I, I would always say take the guy you can take this year. Yeah. Don't don't worry about next year. But I do think 
there is some sort of a balancing act there. Um, and then the other, the other part of this question from the same guy is who would be your must, just give me like two must get recruits in 2022 for Miami. Well, we already kind of talked about, um, one of them in, uh, Earl Little. I just think it's a position of need. He's a legacy kid. Uh, he's been on campus before. I mean, he, I'm pretty sure he was coming out to practices long before, uh, he was even really like considered much of a recruit had any offers. So I, I think him, he's one. Um, I'm also going to toss another one at you. This is probably going to surprise you. Wesley Bistain, he's a linebacker out of Miami Central. Stud. You know, yeah, he's he's really good. Uh, and, and I think there's interest there from Miami. Uh, Manny Diaz has been involved in that recruitment. So get him. And, and then I'll, I'll kind of toss a third in here. And, and it's not really one name, uh, but they got to get an elite quarterback. And, yeah. and I, I feel like Rhett Lashley should be able to do that. I don't know who the guy is going to be, who the guy will be right now. But go get someone, and and I think they should as long as Rhett Lashley uh, is here. Yeah, they're tossing out more and more 2022 quarterback offers here recently. So, you know, they clearly know it, it's a key position of need. Uh, next question comes from uh, Drooney86. Do you think our recruiting efforts are slower than other schools? Uh, it seems like we don't go after kids until they have five or six power five offers. I think this is mainly like local kids, I think is what he's getting at. Um, I don't know. Do you feel like Miami is slow on the trigger in terms of offering guys? No, not really. Um, I, I don't think so. I mean, it, it's difficult. Like Miami's recruiting base is South Florida. And if you, recruit guys super early um then you're kind of yeah that you're opening yourself up to uh you know having to take a guy or, or or something like that 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 leads to decommitments i mean what miami wanted to do remember they had these recruiting protocols in place the idea was we will not offer local kids or or anyone unless they have visited or uh, have worked out for our staff or we've seen them now the pandemic has changed that uh, and made it more difficult for Miami. Um, so I, I, I think it's hard to, to fault Miami. Like, like, look, look, take a local kid. Let's say he's at St. Thomas Aquinas. In uh, his first five offers are Syracuse, Pittsburgh, Toledo, Coastal Carolina, um, and Southern Miss. Like, is it Miami's fault not for being number one? I mean, I just, I don't know. I, 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 no, no complaints for me there on that front. Yeah, I don't think it's too late, honestly, until it starts getting to be like April, May, uh, you know, before their senior season. So I, you know, I don't think, I don't think Miami does, does a bad job of, of being too late on guys in general. Uh, next question is from Omni Point. Mason Smith, who is the, I guess he, he's a five-star, right? Five-star defensive tackle out of Louisiana. Uh, there's always a lot of buzz around him with Miami being like a dark horse. Uh, do you feel like that's a pipe dream or does Miami have a puncher, puncher's chance to land him? Long shot. I mean, I just, I know he's been on campus before. I, I think the fact that the dead period got extended hurts some more. Um, 
you know, because maybe you could have got him on campus for an official visit. I, I just think it's going to be hard for him to not play in the SEC and really hard for him to leave the state of Louisiana. I know they aren't having the, the best of seasons. I just think it's a long shot and just being keeping it real. Will, next question, will Leonard Taylor finish as the number one recruit in the country? Uh, not up to me. Um, number three right now. I, I think he's he's pretty good, so I, I would I would say not likely. What would you do differently on the recruiting trail, or what would you like to see Miami start doing differently, if anything? Big broad question for you. Yeah, I know. I really got to think about that. Um, Tell me this: Do you think, and we kind of touched on this, have they approached quarterback recruiting this cycle? Uh, in a, in a bad way, in your opinion, or, or would you have done it differently? I guess is the better way to frame it. I just, I, it's you know, tough. what are they supposed to do? You can't, you can't visit anywhere. Right. You can't fault Rhett Lashley for coming in late. Um, we'll see what happens, but maybe, you know, I would revisit this question. Maybe, maybe they should have turned to someone else sooner and, and gone after someone else that you thought you could flip. I mean, I, I don't really have, you know, much, much to complain about um, right. right now. Last, last real question from Chuberka. Who do you think we close out with in recruiting? Who do you think Miami closes out with in recruiting? Um, I think they're going to get a corner. I mean, they have to. Markevious Brown seems to be getting close to making a decision. Uh, it could be him. If not, you know, they're going to have to look to flip someone. Uh, so he, a, a corner, um, we know a counter will be used on a, on a quarterback. Um, and I think those final spots could go to best available. Uh, Terry and Arnold isn't expected to make an, a, a decision in, until the traditional early signing period. Um, you also got some offensive tackles that could potentially come into come into play, like uh, Austin Barber. You know they haven't offered him yet, but that's that's a premium position. Uh, Patrick Payton, kind of a premium position as well. So I, I would say right now, I I don't think they will sign twenty four during the early signing period, and uh, I think one of them will be a corner. I so, think they're gonna, okay. I think they're going to leave some spots open. Is what I'm saying. So let me let me just put you on the spot, ask you, because everyone wants to know, Jake Garcia, you see him sticking with USC as of now? Yes, correct. Okay. Last question as we head into Thanksgiving. What is your favorite Thanksgiving dish, Andrew? Oh, I don't know. I'm, I, I've seen this uh, like pick, pick, pick thing on my Twitter uh, timeline. Um, I'll go with, so I'm always down with stuffing, right? I always eat yeah. far, far too much stuffing. And my mom makes a good, uh, I'm a big fan of her sweet potato casserole. So, you know, it's like a side dish that's also kind of like a dessert item, in my Oof. opinion. So big fan of that. How about you? Um, I'm just like, I, I really like turkey and, and I really like the leftovers the day after. Yeah. Yep. Like building like a, a, a turkey sandwich, just maybe putting some stuffing, some cranberry sauce on there. Same. 
that's 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 where I'm at. And just so everyone knows, Andrew Ivins smokes his own turkey. He's that yeah, guy. I am. I'm and I'm smoking a ham too. It's gonna be wow. a busy. It's gonna be a busy day in the Ivins household. Getting after it. Well, that wraps up the mailbag. Again, let me let me remind everyone. <laughs> we just we just did an hour fifteen of uh, answering questions. You get more of this kind of service at InsideTheU.com. Uh, and, and right now you get an annual subscription deal, 27 bucks for a VIP subscription now through December 1st. So you got some time to think about it, sign up, but we appreciate it. If you, if you like this podcast, show us some love by signing up for the website. Hopefully everyone has a good Thanksgiving, uh, spending time with, with whatever family you can get together with this year. And, uh, it was a good one, Andrew. Appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you guys later. Take care.